Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Jordan Rubin. And I'm Kimberly Robinson. This is your sneak peek for the week of November 30th. The court's hearing cases on the census, taxes, unanimous jury convictions, and more. Kimberly, let's start with the census case that we just talked about on our deep dive episode. Sure. Well, this is Trump versus New York, also known as Census 3.0. Listeners may recall the first census case at SCOTUS, in which the court five to four with Chief Justice Roberts joined his more liberal colleagues, said that the Trump administration could add a citizenship question to the 2020 census, but that they hadn't given a good enough reason for doing so. Roberts famously said that the reason given to help enforce the Voting Rights Act was, quote, contrived. The next case came to the court on the shadow docket. In an order, the Supreme Court agreed to let the Census Bureau wrap up counting early in order to comply with statutory deadlines to deliver the final tallies. And then what is known as Census 3.0 is the current case. As you mentioned, we chatted about this on our deep dive episode, but the short version is that the Trump administration wants to exclude undocumented immigrants from the determination of the number of representatives that each state gets. This one might come down to ripeness and or technical issues. Namely, the lower court found that the Trump administration couldn't exclude undocumented immigrants because it would lower the response rates to the census itself. But of course, counting has stopped, so there's no way that it can actually affect the census count now. And most recently, the Census Bureau itself indicated that it may not be able to deliver the numbers until after Inauguration Day, so it would be the Biden administration, not the Trump one, making the, the determination of who gets counted for apportionment purposes. So that census. Jordan, why don't you tell us about Van, Van Buren versus United States, which could be uh, the sleeper case of this sitting. Yeah, this is a super interesting case. It deals with the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. That's an anti-hacking law that's been litigated a lot over the years, but not so much in the Supreme Court. And the issue here is whether someone who's allowed to access information on a computer for certain purposes violates the act if he does so for an improper purpose. So that sounds a little dry, but it comes to life in this case, which involves an an FBI sting against a cop. Uh, The target of the operation, Sergeant Nathan Van Buren, was asked to run a license plate, supposedly to find out if a stripper was an undercover cop. Van Buren ran the plate in a government database, and he was prosecuted under that computer law. On appeal, he argues that the law only criminalizes access when a person has no right at all to access the information. And there's a lot of interest in the outcome from various outside groups concerned with overcriminalization and the computer law being applied to broadly in a bunch of different areas, not just in this weird situation. So that'll be Monday. Kimberly, what's happening on Tuesday, starting with a case involving Nestle? Right. So this one is Nestle versus Doe. Uh, This is another one of those cases where there's a long line of cases uh, that the court has already decided on this issue. Here, it's um, the Supreme Court's trying to rein in the, quote, alien tort statute. Now, this was a little used statute um, before it exploded in the early 2000s when the court itself suggested that it could be used to sue for human rights abuses abroad. Uh, The court began cutting back on that right pretty soon after and has slowly been shipping away at the ability to sue uh, for human rights abuses abroad in U.S. courts. In Keobel, the court applied the bar on extra (laughs) I even practiced this before we did this. Extraterritoriality. Ooh, I got it. In Keobel, the court applied the bar on extraterritoriality 
basically a presumption that a U.S. statute doesn't apply abroad. So the question in this court's current case is whether aiding and abetting a claim against a U.S. company uh, to human rights abuses abroad can overcome that bar when the plaintiffs allege only that general corporate decisions made in the U.S. actually aided the harm abroad. So here, the plaintiffs claim that decisions made by Nestle in the United States to buy cocoa from farms in the Ivory Coast aided child slavery and other human rights abuses. And Nestle is really the latest chance for the court to continue to cut back on the avenue for addressing human rights abuses in U.S. courts. So these cases is they allege terrible facts and heinous allegations, but the history of the ATS was meant to deal with piracy and the like. So questions and arguments tend to get far away from those allegations uh, and more into, well, pirates. No pirates in the second case on for Tuesday, CIC services against the IRS. And this is a pretty big case in the tax world, as I understand it. Uh, I'm just going to read the question presented here. It's this, whether the Anti-Injunction Act's bar on lawsuits for the purpose of restraining the assessment or collection of taxes, still with me, also bars challenges to unlawful regulatory mandates issued by administrative agencies that are not taxes. So the Anti-Injunction Act generally bars lawsuits trying to restrain tax assessment or collection. That means plaintiffs have to pay up front and then try to sue for a refund later. Obviously, people in businesses would rather sue first. In this case involving a reporting requirement tests the scope of the act. The Chamber of Commerce warns of businesses being in a lose-lose scenario where they have to either abide by potentially unlawful regulations or risk untenable civil and even criminal penalties. And on the other side, a brief from former government officials frames the stakes as whether the tax shelter industry will be permitted to use strategic pre-enforcement suits to hobble the IRS's efforts to combat abusive tax shelters. And if you want to hear more about this case from someone who actually knows what it's all about, check out our sister podcast, Talking Tax, where they took a deep dive into this one. And then, because we no longer have on the docket that case involving the House Judiciary Committee and its efforts to get a hold of unredacted copies of the Mueller report, uh, we've got just one case on Wednesday. What's that one, Jordan? Edwards against Van Noy. Here the question is whether the Supreme Court's decision from last term in Ramos against Louisiana applies retroactively to cases on federal collateral review. So in Ramos last term, you may remember the court held that the Sixth Amendment right to trial incorporated against the states through the 14th Amendment requires unanimous verdicts to convict defendants of serious offenses. Going forward, the last states to allow such verdicts, Louisiana and Oregon, can't have them anymore. No question about that. But left open is the question of what happens to people already convicted by non-unanimous juries. For it to apply retroactively under Supreme Court precedent, the justices would need to find that Ramos either reaffirmed a long-standing old rule or announced a watershed new rule that restored a bedrock principle of constitutional law. Supporting Louisiana in this case, the Justice Department notes in its brief that the only rule the court has ever indicated would be a watershed right is the one to counsel announced in Gideon. So the defendant here, Edwards, might face an uphill battle, but he does have considerable outside support in his fight. We'll just have to see. So between Census 3.0, all of the ATS cases and retroactivity case seems like there's a theme emerging here, right? That the, the 
court keeps coming back to the same issues? Yep, the term of repeats. Somebody should write a story about that and maybe release it on Monday. Let's do it. Well, you should do it. (laughs) I'll read it. Okay. Well, that's going to do it uh, until next week when we'll do our last sneak peek episode of 2020, highlighting the final arguments in um, this terrible, terrible year. Good riddance. Until then, you can follow along with all the latest Supreme Court news at news.bloomberglaw.com. This is Adam Allington. I'm a senior podcast producer at Bloomberg Law. And I'm Lisa Hellam, executive editor for Strategic Initiatives. And we're here to announce a new season of Uncommon Law, a narrative podcast series from Bloomberg Law. As last summer's protests against police violence and systemic racism continue to reverberate, we'll focus our attention on how those events are impacting the world of large corporate law firms. We're calling this first series, Black Lawyers Speak, Stories of the Past, Hopes for the Future. And while there's been renewed attention on diversity and inclusion in these last six months, Big Law's track record in this area remains very much a work in progress. Many of our graduates go into spaces in which they are one of the only African-American lawyers. They may be the only African-American lawyer. The thing that always gets me about racism is how much money white people are willing to give up to prop it up. You'll hear a range of voices from across the legal community, including associates and partners, law school deans, as well as general counsel. We will very regularly look at those metrics because there may be firms that, you know, do well for a year or two, but then fall behind. We'll also hear from some path-breaking African-American attorneys in corporate law. How have they dealt with issues of inclusion? And what changes are they hoping to see in the profession? When I first started teaching in 1986, you used to have to spend the time, uh, the, the first half an hour of some diversity discussion convincing people that diversity was an important goal. You don't have to do that anymore. But the problem is, they haven't made a huge amount of progress. It's not fair, but what can be better than being on the front lines of helping to make this country better for all of us? If not us, who? If not now, when? If you'd like to learn more about how the business of law intersects with issues of social justice and corporate culture, then this is the podcast for you. Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts.